This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New developments tonight involving two senior officers suspended from their jobs at the legislature. Clerk Craig James and Sergeant at Arms Gary Lenz escorted out of the building on Tuesday as word broke of an RCMP investigation involving the pair. Well, tonight, their lawyer has sent a letter demanding the pair be reinstated. And Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on this developing story. Keith, that letter raises a number of questions. Yeah, this story seems to change almost hourly, Chris. So, yeah, the lawyer from the, the uh, lawyers, the letter from the lawyers today, accusing uh, the officials of basically deliberately humiliating their clients in a very public and humiliating fashion by being ejected and uh, forcibly escorted out of the building. The letter itself uh, contains a number of arguments, uh, but uh, it contained in its three pages, uh, and uh, most of them are about uh, just how unfair it is to their clients. But it also seizes on a particular legal argument. So the lawyers argue. Uh, from a constitutional basis, it's unfair because the Speaker has no constitutional authority to carry out an investigation of the Clerk of the Legislature Assembly or the Sergeant-at-Arms, and no authority to hire a special advisor to do so. Furthermore, in our view, the Constitution Act, Section 66, does not authorize the placing of these most senior officers of the Legislature on administrative leave. That legal analysis now appears to have the B.C. Liberals, who were uh, unanimous in their support of this motion, potentially reconsidering this. In Here's Andrew Wilkinson, the party leader. There's a real concern here that we got taken for a ride because the Attorney General may or may not have vetted the advice they received from the Speaker. We need to know that in terms of the Attorney General's role in this, whether he did his homework before telling us it was just fine to go ahead with this motion in the House. All right, so we're talking about one letter, Keith, but that wasn't the only letter released no. today. There's actually another one that dropped less than an hour ago. Yeah, this is one from Mary Polak, the B.C. Liberal House Leader, uh, to Mike Farnworth, the Government House Leader, and Sonia Furstenau, the Green Party House Leader, saying basically uh, 11 questions have to be answered now as a result of that lawyer's letter, and they're all centered around what type of legal advice were they operating when they made the motion to expel or suspend these two members. And it follows an early letter by Mary Polak today, Chris, where she wants an emergency meeting of the Legislative Assembly Management Committee early next week. So this story continues to evolve, like I say, on an almost hourly basis. So much to wade through, and we'll stay on it through next week, I'm sure, too. Thanks very much, Keith. Okay. Now, a warning tonight that there could be even more changes coming to how ICBC operates. Today, the public auto insurer announced it's facing bigger-than-expected financial losses this year. Richard Zussman has more on how much and what it will likely mean for drivers. It is soon going to get more expensive for you to keep your car on the road in terms of paying for insurance. That's because the B.C. government can't put out that dumpster fire at ICBC. On Friday, second quarter financial numbers released. So far this year, the public insurer has lost 
$582 million. And they are forecasting losses this year at $890 million. Couple that with the fact the public insurer lost $1.3 billion last year, and that's a major problem. A problem that in part has to be covered by ratepayers. Well, I can tell you it's been a very challenging year. Uh, we have had you know, an increase in our claims costs by about 26% beyond what we were projecting. Um, so it is definitely putting pressure uh, on the rate picture. There are a number of factors that go into why the losses are so high. One of the major factors, litigation costs. Attorney General David Eby, not available for an interview today, but in a statement said litigation costs have gone up substantially since March of 2017, and the government trying to crack down on that with changes they have made. But the government still trying to grapple with exactly how to control those costs. They are promising more measures, but we don't know specifically what those additional measures will be. In terms of when you will start paying more for your ICBC rates, we will find out what the public insurer is proposing in terms of an increase by the middle of December. And those rate increases will come in next spring. Back to you. All right. Thanks for that, Richard. Frustration over the lack of ride sharing is well documented and now another incident involving a taxi on the lower mainland that illustrates why it's important for passengers to know their rights. Jordan Armstrong is live in downtown Vancouver with more on this and Jordan this time it revolves around a form of payment. It does, Chris. Last night, about this time, there was a huge network outage involving those wireless debit and credit pin pads inside Vancouver taxis. Not the fault of the drivers by any stretch, but how one driver chose to handle this situation was in clear violation of the rules. You, oh, you can't take us there? On a rainy Vancouver night, Farhan Mohammed was feeling lucky to have even found a taxi. But midway through the short journey from Yale Town to Cole Harbor, his luck hit a roadblock. Uh, I have $5 cash. <laughs> the editor-in-chief of DailyHive.com had planned to pay by credit card. But only after he'd gotten into the cab, he was informed by the driver that the wireless pin pad was down. It was cash or get out. He turned the light on, he stopped the cab, and we, he was basically going to say, get out of my cab. Uh, he said, uh, you know, drop, uh, drop me here. Mohammed says the cabin question was operated by Vancouver Taxi. General Manager John Pallas would not agree to an interview, but by phone told us all drivers are supposed to carry carbon paper slips to process cards manually when the machines are down. Mohammed says that was never offered. Was there ever the offer to process the payment manually with the carbon? Nothing. No, nothing. Other taxi riders say drivers are often reluctant to accept credit cards, even when the pin pads are working. If they'll only accept cash, you don't have any, then they'll kick you out. They said that if you pay cash, they get the money right away. But then again, you know, everybody else that's not a cab driver, they get paid every two weeks or once a month. So. Okay, so would you mind taking us to the destination that you agreed to drive us to? Eventually, the driver gives in and takes them the remaining few blocks to Cole Harbor. For Mohammed and his readers, the experience fueling outrage over the NDP government's repeated delays on ride-sharing. Maybe late 2019, maybe 2020. And we see ride-share in other cities. We see just customer service working in other cities. And then you come here, and Vancouver doesn't have any of this. 
Now, the general manager of Vancouver Taxi says he will be having a word with this driver once he finds out who it is. The Taxi Passengers Bill of Rights clearly states that customers are entitled to pay by cash, credit card, or voucher. Drivers who violate this could be fined $288. Spot enforcement is carried out. Complaints can also be made to the province's passenger transportation branch or to Consumer Protection BC. Chris. A document well worth reading, it sounds like. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. A heated confrontation between a bus driver and a passenger caught on video. Get off my bus right now or I'm calling the cops. You don't make contact with someone when they're driving a bus full of people. This Perfect. happened on Marine Drive near Victoria Thursday afternoon. TransLink is defending the actions of the driver involved, saying the female passenger became angry when the bus didn't stop at her stop and she began hitting the driver on the arm. The company says the safety of its employees and passengers is a top priority and that assaults on drivers can put the lives of many people at risk. There are some concerns tonight about the future of accessible parking in B.C. Starting next month, the province will remove the requirement from the building code and transfer that responsibility directly to municipalities. Nadia Stewart explains how it'll work and why some fear the move will make an already challenging situation even more difficult. At first glance, this might look like a perfectly accessible parking stall. The problem is a lot of the older parking spaces for people with disabilities don't have the extra width to be able to get a mobility device up beside the vehicle. But David Willows says this space and others like it throughout Victoria there we go. pose significant challenges for him and his son, making it difficult to get in and out of spaces where it's supposed to be easier. It's not just for people with wheelchairs. Anyone that has a balance issue and needs to open a door fully, um, there's just not space to do that. And soon, he worries the problem will worsen in B.C. As of December 10th, there will be no requirement for accessible parking to be part of any new uh, developments. As of next month, the province is ending the requirements for accessible parking spaces, removing that language from B.C.'s building code, leaving it up to the municipality to regulate. Liberal MLA Stephanie Cadu worries that many municipalities might not even know it'll soon be their responsibility. Municipalities, unfortunately, aren't getting it right today. And so now to leave uh, it up to each and every municipality, small and large, to determine what the standard is going to be in their community and then enforce that is going to leave us with a with a very difficult patchwork. According to the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing, the new BC building code matches the national building code, which does not have requirements for parking spaces. The province says cities have the power to regulate accessible parking under the Local Government Act. Might be getting in there. But advocates like Vince Miele, who successfully lobbied the city of Richmond to make progressive changes, say the province should be the one to set the standard. This little glitch with the removal of parking from the building code can be an opportunity if they want to take advantage of it. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Police are back at the scene where a woman was killed in a suspicious crash last week. Officers with the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team combing the brush along the Barnett Highway near Texaco Drive in Burnaby, where the body of Nicole Hasselman was located. Hasselman was a special education assistant in Vancouver. Police say while she was ejected from the vehicle when it crashed, she also had injuries consistent with foul play. While investigators will not say what they were looking for, they were using metal detectors at the site.
New research shows a growing number of non-resident mothers are having babies in Canada. In fact, the research suggests the rate of birth tourism is much higher than originally thought. Sarah McDonald has more on where it's happening the most in this province and why some are calling for a crackdown. It's a contentious practice no matter where it arises or how it's phrased. I think the government should crack down on it. Birth tourism, birth citizenship, or passport babies. All terms used to describe infants born on Canadian soil to non-resident parents. Automatically granted citizenship and the benefits that come with it. Richmond actually is the one hospital we've always known about. But now new research using different data than Stats Canada suggests it could be much more prevalent than initially thought. Using hospital financial data of people who come here who don't have uh, health care coverage, who basically pay themselves and are residents of other countries. That hospital discharge data focusing on finances shows Richmond is still the epicenter for non-resident births on a national scale. With more than 1,700 babies born to non-resident mothers in the past eight years, 469 in the past year alone, comprising nearly a quarter of all births in the city on an annual basis. And in BC, the issue isn't only prevalent in Richmond. Two Vancouver hospitals, including St. Paul's, have been flagged as being among the top 10 in the country for birth tourism. Those births to non-resident mothers, accounting for an estimated 670 babies born in the city since 2010, and more than 9% of all births in the past year. The only people who seem to favor birth tourism are the unscrupulous and unethical individuals that are profiting from it. Those new numbers, which critics argue don't take into account foreign students or workers, have also caught the attention of the feds, now promising to take a closer look at the issue. It's not fair just coming to a country and giving birth and then leaving. Something this Irish national applying for permanent residency supports. I'm planning on starting a family here. I'll be paying my taxes and doing everything the right way, so should everyone else. Other countries like Australia and New Zealand recently changing their rules surrounding birth citizenship. Some now calling for Canada to do the same. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Well, the deadline to return your ballot on electoral reform has been extended. Elections BC is giving people an extra week to cast their vote. Originally, it was due... Uh, pardon me, due back by November 30th. But after five weeks of rotating Canada Post strikes, you now have until December 7th to get it done. However, the deadline to request a ballot, if you don't already have one, is still midnight tonight. Packages can be requested online, by phone or in person at a service BC office. But first, a kennel owner and dog trainer is in a court battle with Langley Township over a complaint from one neighbor. Catherine Urquhart tells us what started this fight with City Hall and why he's not giving up. Speak, speak, speak. Good boy. Doug Leaf is a well-known dog trainer. Jack Russell Cosmo was in the movie Archie. Hi, I'm Archie. I'm not a normal dog. Gunner and Dijon also stars of countless shows, all were trained on Leaf's four-and-a-half-acre property in Langley, where he has a commercial kennel license. Despite having that license, the township of Langley has issued him six $200 bylaw tickets for barking. They had issued me a, a license to operate a kennel. I made no contract with them that I'd have uh, noiseless dogs. So it doesn't make any sense. A dog will bark. <laughs> The tickets date back to 2016, when a former neighbour complained. Doug challenged the tickets through the adjudication system. 
He lost, but a Supreme Court judge ruled there had been an error in law and has sent the case back to the adjudicator. Doug was also awarded partial costs. The township of Langley now appealing those costs. Suddenly it's taken a life of its own and it's, it's continued. It's, um, it's an expensive proposition. A spokesperson with the township of Langley would not comment on the bylaw tickets, nor would they address the mounting legal costs associated with this case. Doug says he's not giving up and will continue to fight the township. But I'm fighting it so that for the future people will be able to have um, kennels in this area. All right. No date has been set for the BC Court of Appeal hearing. This battle between dog trainer and the township of Langley now looking like it will continue into the new year. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, Langley. A landmark home in the BC interior has gone up in flames. The iconic home of a thousand faces, the home of woodcarver Rolf here was reduced to ashes today. Flames first spotted shortly after 10 o'clock this morning. It's a major loss for the community and for here. He announced last month he'd be selling his home because his health is failing. Here got out safely. At this point, no indication what caused the fire. In Otter News. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I can't help myself. The otter that's been feasting on fish in Vancouver's Dr. Sun Yat-sen Garden has still evaded all attempts to capture it, even getting food out of a trap without getting caught. Yeah, and with half the garden's fish now gone, the Vancouver Park Board has brought in another expert hoping they can finally catch and relocate the scourge of the koi pond. On the otter most wanted list, he or she must be at the top. In an otter time, someone might have just shot this animal, but not these days. This otter is wanted alive. For almost a week now, it's been feasting on the Sun Yat-sen Garden's prized koi. Of the 14 large fish, only seven remain. It's not only eating koi, it is koi. Uh, the otter did visit our trap and uh, took our fish and our tuna and our chicken. Unfortunately, a small uh, jam underneath it with a stick uh, prevented the trap from closing. So the trap's been restocked and reset, and because the animal did go into it before, it probably will again, and that's the hope. And if captured, it'll be off to somewhere in the Fraser Valley. The Ministry of Environment has recommended we take the otter out to the Harrison River or the Chilliwack or the Campbell. This is for the best chance for a happy life for this otter. The otter's become something of a media sensation with followers on both sides, for the otter and for the koi. In the news business, stories that resonate more than expected are said to have legs. Well, this one has four of them. One possibility is that it used them to scurry along a pipe connecting to False Creek to get here. Some of you may have spotted the photo uh, somebody took on Saturday night on Kiefer Street. The otter was trying to cross the street. In its 32-year history, the Sun Yat-sen Garden has never had a river otter invade this little piece of paradise on the edge of the downtown east side. But now that it has, the experts say it won't leave until every last fish is consumed. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A Black Friday free-for-all at a South Carolina Walmart as shoppers grabbed for those big-screen TVs. 164 million Americans are expected to shop this weekend, each spending an average of $1,000. Of course, to be fair, the vast majority of American Black Friday sales were violence-free this year. Good to hear. Three, two, one. 
then there's the BC version of Black Friday madness. Air quotes. Air quotes there. <laughs> Not exactly a door crasher as shoppers politely stroll into the Best Buy at Metro Town. Still, this one's uniquely American shopping tradition has grown in a few short years to be even bigger than Boxing Day in this country. Big changes for what were once the kings of Black Friday and retail in general, the giant climate-controlled shopping meccas that were the go-to destination for anyone looking for almost anything. But shopping malls have fallen on hard times, and as John Hua reports, that's forcing them to reinvent themselves in both new and old ways. Time hasn't been kind to the conventional shopping mall. With Amazon and eBay, things come straight to your door, right? It's a shame that they're struggling right now. Horologist Nick Huda has been getting a close-up view of what happens when the clock on anchor stores like Sears start to run out. Foot traffic is half. So people get nervous, like, what will happen down the road? Sears is gone, Target left, Zeller's before them. That's big square feet in shopping centres that now goes dark. Hoping to pave a new way forward, this development in Burnaby called the Amazing Brentwood isn't just thinking outside the box, it's building on top of it. Yeah, it's huge because they're capturing a significant amount of those residents spending. And with more than 28 acres to work with, the Amazing Brentwood will be bringing in 1.1 million square feet in retail space. That, of course, creates the demand for a lot of shoppers. And that's where the 4.5 million square feet in residential space comes in. That's the equivalent to more than 10,000 people. It's a great way to unlock the value of the real estate. Also, if you have retail still there, you've got a captive market. Mixing the need for housing supply and retail stability, a perfect match in urban centers like Metro Vancouver. It was the perfect timing, and it's actually gone from accepted to being the desired. And if towers are a tough sell, another older idea is starting to trend. A pioneer when it comes to building attractions alongside brick-and-mortar stores, the West Edmonton Mall model is finally catching on. That's really been the, the secret to keeping it relevant over time because people are coming here for a full experience. Whether it's discovering the works of Pablo Picasso while picking up a few things in Vancouver or indoor surfing at a mall just outside Montreal. The days of coasting on the old shopping experience are clearly over to reinvent the notion of a shopping centre. So that's looking for attractions, uh, different uses, different reasons for people to get involved in the space. Sorry eBay, there's no way to zip line online. And even Amazon's two-day shipping can't beat one of these new condo owners making a short trip to stores on the ground floor. Back at Nick Huda's watch gallery, the hope is if this works in bringing in shoppers, retailers like him, won't have to constantly worry about trying to buy some time. John Huag. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Global News.
A Richmond grandmother and the special needs granddaughter she's raising were facing an agonizing decision, having to put their beloved family pet down because they couldn't afford life-saving surgery. But tonight, Buddy is out of surgery and on the road to recovery. Jill Bennett tells us why a local charitable fund was compelled to step in and help. Who wouldn't fall in love with this face, cone and all? Just a few months ago, Joan Eamon, who was raising her five-year-old granddaughter, purchased Buddy, a Bernese Mountain Dog Cross, from a breeder. But at eight months old, there were signs something was wrong. He was starting to get lame and he wasn't really moving well. And then he was quite sore when he got up. Buddy was referred to the Canada West Veterinary Specialists, where x-rays showed joint damage that causes severe pain and mobility issues. He had uh, a condition called OCD, or osteochondritis desiccans, which basically means that he has uh, areas of unhealthy cartilage. And unfortunately for Buddy, both of his shoulders were affected and both of his tarsi, which are his ankles. Eamon spent thousands getting the diagnosis, but facing another $9,000 bill for surgery and treatment, she made a difficult decision. Said, no, it's just not going to work. We're going to have to euthanize, and I made an appointment. But on the eve of that appointment, Eamon got an email from Canada West, the Jesse Bandit Assistance Fund, set up by a previous client to help pet owners with financial challenges, along with the generosity of two other donors had come through, meaning Buddy would be saved. This is the first time Buddy's family has seen him since the surgery, and Noel has big plans. Take him for walks and give him treats and hug him. I'm forever grateful for sure, and, and I had no idea that there was this type of a foundation. As for Buddy, there is more treatment ahead, but it's expected he'll make a full recovery. It's pretty clear this dog still has a lot of bark left. Jill Bennett, Global News. All right, nice to see Buddy doing well. Another Black Friday crowd? Nope, after the forecast, you might be surprised why thousands lined up in Chicago. It was worth it. That's the only clue we'll give you. All right, let's check in with Christy right now and a look at that uh, weekend weather. How's it looking, Christy? Uh, it's looking a little iffy, so I've actually got your emoji forecast to show you uh, this weekend. It's Friday. We're having a little fun here. All right, so we had a fair amount of rain earlier today, dried up in the afternoon, but there were still pockets of showers, and some areas woke up to, yes, wet snow. Thanks for Linda uh, in Clearwater for that. So, yeah, the last couple of days have been a little bit on the sad side with uh, the snow and the rain, although it's been great for the mountains. Nice to see some snow there. But this is your weekend forecast. This little ridge is going to shift right into our region, but it's going to drive rain into the parts of the northern uh, Vancouver Island region all the way through the central coast and north coast as well. We are right on the edge of that. So it's sort of what I'm calling a neutral forecast for the weekend. And inland regions will see uh, a fair amount of sunshine and no rain. Here's what that looks like on the future cast. So we've got systems that move in. They target the north and central coast and they just touch down into Metro Vancouver. So we have a chance of uh, showers, mainly cloudy skies, but we're really just on the edge of that. Whereas majority of the moisture will be north of us. This is by Sunday evening 
everyone, we are going to see a wave of rain push on shore. So and that emoji forecast was for our weekend. But Sunday evening through our Monday, we are right back into the rain again. So here's your chance of showers for your Saturday. Staying below about the 50%, but there is that chance of it. And a little bit drier into our Sunday morning, but then we have a better chance towards the end of the day. So you see why I say it's a little on the iffy side. All right, here's your uh, Coquihalla uh, snow shed right now. We did see some uh, snowflakes falling, still have the potential just through the evening hours, two to four centimeters, and that's about it. But otherwise, conditions are going to clear out through the inland regions. It's really just the north and central coast that is going to get hit tomorrow, and uh, you can see that sunshine right through the interior region. So you have the smile forecast and for the south coast. So it's the lower mainland and southern parts of Vancouver Island that are a bit on the iffy side northern Vancouver Island, you are expecting that rain. So just a chance of showers through the weekend, but by Sunday night, you can expect to get wet again, and we will see that through on Monday. And we did see a few very brief breaks of sunshine today, and Stephanie managed to capture them. Thanks, Stephanie. Oh, nice. Glad she got a look at it. Hail at my place in a report from the uh, really? East Van Bureau. That's right. <laughs> little, little hail pieces. <laughs> All right, long Black Friday lineups across the U.S. today, but some crowds in Chicago had nothing to do with deep discounts. That's right, thousands of people queued up outside selected liquor stores for beer, specifically the release of Goose Island Bourbon County Stout. It's only the second time the brewery has released this particular product, which is aged in bourbon barrels. Only 255 cases were up for sale, some stores only allowing customers to buy one bottle of each flavor. Individual bottles ranging from $12 to $23 U.S. Well, now that sounds delicious. It does, doesn't it? Mm. I would like that. some. What? You don't think so? No. You're not really a beer drinker. I'm more though. a high C guy. <laughs> All right. Square Barnes. That Ready to do sports. <laughs> no, it wasn't the Kool-Aid jingle, I know. <laughs> it was the cool... It was the cool whip commercial. Right. Okay. I got it mixed up. Okay, Sorry. sorry. I don't know either of them. That's cool as a C. Mine was cool as a K. Okay, I gotcha. Uh, I'm not sure if it was gravity or injuries, but the Canucks have fallen back to earth after flying rather high earlier in the season. Seven straight losses, and tonight they're playing the San Jose Sharks. Anderson Nilsson, Anders Nilsson, make that, is back in goal after breaking his finger. And if you look closely, you can see the splint is still on it. So he'll play with that splint. How will he play? Well, let's see. Early on... Making saves. Joe Pavelski and then a rumble happens right after this. San Jose does get a power play and it doesn't take them very long to score. Logan Couture from Eric Carlson. 1-0 late in the first period for San Jose over Vancouver. Earlier today, Ken Hitchcock and the Oilers. They won their first game with Ken. They had a 1-0 lead. 17 seconds left. They blew it. Ducks tie. Nick Ritchie is first of the year. That made it 1-1. Then, 14 seconds into overtime, Ricard Raquel. It is. 2-1 Anaheim over Edmonton. Canada, Hong Kong. Canada looking to qualify for the Rugby World Cup. DTH Van der Marwe with the block and the try. One more look. Canada's best player by far. Look at those celebrations. This win, 27-10 over Hong Kong, qualified Canada for next year's World Cup. 
It's the ninth straight time Canada's qualified, although this one took a bit of sweat and extra games. That's Van der Marwe again going in. 27-10, the final. The Rugby World Cup is next September. It starts next September in Japan. Ladies and gentlemen, Wally Bono last night winning the uh, CFL's Hugh Campbell Leadership Award. Well-deserved. I don't know what else they can give him. He's already in the CFL Hall of Fame. He has the Order of Canada. He has Grey Cups. He has this. The Lions, of course, still have yet to name his replacement as head coach. Should come soon, though, I would think. All right. Sports can do a lot for someone. It can teach them teamwork. It can improve their confidence. It obviously can improve their conditioning, unless, of course, they take up darts. But most of all, it teaches you about yourself. And this story is proof of that. When I was uh, turning 12, my dad bought me boxing gloves. And that is when the transformation for now 14-year-old Annika Segal began. This was Annika before boxing. She weighed 210 pounds at the time. Today, she's a trim and fit 145 pounds. Once you get into something you like, you can kind of feel it. As in, like, when I did the sport, I felt like it was right. I felt like it was me. With boxing, it's like there's some change in her. It's, it's like she doesn't find any day boring. She just wants to go. She, she, we don't even have to tell her to get ready. She's got her bag packed to go. Maybe this was destiny. This is a picture of Annika on the day she was born. She definitely was born to box. When I look at her baby picture from the hospital, she's got her fists ready. So I think this is something that was in her. <laughs> I found a ring name for her. It's uh, the Princess Warrior. <laughs> it's the warrior part that has come out of her during this transformation. She trains five to six times per week at Ray Savard's Boxing Club in Surrey. She gets up at four in the morning to run three times per week, but she loves it. And that transformation, it's happening outside the ring too. Just like I know how to present myself and talk with confidence and I've gained a lot of respect, respect after doing this sport and people can see the difference in me from two, three years, like my friends will notice it. That's why I get more respect on my teachers, know, you know, I'm doing something. But she's a fighter at heart, and earlier this month, Annika had her first ever official fight. Part of the Italian Cultural Center's iconic boxing night, and it was a slugfest. Annika took some shots, and she gave a lot too. It was non-stop action, and even though she dropped a unanimous decision, she made a lot of fans that night. I was told I've never seen in a standing ovation at the Italian Cultural Center, and that show's been going on for maybe, what, 40 years? It was amazing. There was a thousand fans on their feet there. That was a brawl. It was like uh, Arturo Getty, Mickey Ward style. And after that fight, I feel so much better. I feel like now I want to continue this even more and improve myself and go further. Boxing hasn't just taught me or like hasn't made me strong physically but also mentally. My grades have improved. I'm more confident and like, I found out who I really am. And the day after the fight, she was back in the gym training. Barry DeLay, Global Sports. Wow, that's great. That is great. Awesome story. Nice work, Barry. Uh, Canada World Cup of Golf 11th last time I checked around the course. Right now, Australia is in the lead. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Okay. Tiger and Phil don't even get a mention. How about uh. that? But what is up with that? I know, I know. I don't get that. All right. Squire's up next. 15 years too late. <laughs> That's right. Squire's up next with satellite debris. But first, let's check in with Kasia Paderka for five things to do with your family. Kasia. 
Yeah, we're definitely getting into that time where there's no shortage of fun events for all. In Coquitlam, Lights at Lafarge kicks off Saturday with a community celebration. Bring your friends and family and enjoy two entertainment hubs and Metro Vancouver's largest free outdoor lights display. Hop on the Polar Express to visit Santa at the North Pole. The West Coast Heritage Train departs from its station in Squamish and magically brings you to the North Pole with hot chocolate and cookies and a meet and greet with Santa and Mrs. Claus. Most parents would probably agree sometimes the kids need to calm down and Peter Pan Zen, a mindfulness class for kids, will do just that. They'll learn meditation, movement and breathing techniques to decrease anxiety and stress and increase their confidence and compassion. The Old Farmhouse Vintage Market invites you for a weekend of junking, as they call it. Over 120 vendors with antiques, vintage, collectibles and repurposed goods. The Surrey Tree Lighting Festival and Holiday Market happens Saturday night. Bring the whole family and share holiday moments as the enormous 60-foot Christmas tree gets lit up in Civic Plaza. For more, go to globalnews.ca slash five things. Five Things to Do is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners. Plus, get the best roadside assistance. Here's a look at your conditions on the mountains. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 45 and 11 new centimeters of snow. Sasquatch opening December 13th. Revelstoke opening December 1st. Fernie November 30th. Manning Park December 1st. And Whitewater December 7th. Big White with a base of 72 and 11 new centimeters of snow. Silver Star opening November 24th and Sun Peaks with a base of 77 centimeters. Kicking Horse and Mount Washington both opening December 7th. Powder King open with a base of 74. All right. <laughs> we don't have a lot of time. It's Friday. What yeah, goes on? it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it has. This, uh, this week... We decided Thursday nights we're going to start calling Friday Eve. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> nice. It's Friday okay, Eve. Okay. okay, let's begin satellite debris then, because that's a Friday staple. Oh, uh, the Flutog. Love it. Somewhere it's summer, or at least spring. Southern Hemisphere. So why not do a little Flutogging? The idea, of course, is to go off the pier and try to get your contraption to fly. Most of them don't, but luckily no one dies. At least they don't think so. <laughs> Oh, Except French fries? Oh, I think so. Oh. oh, with the seagull getting the yes, French fry. Yes, I like that. get it? None of them really fly at all. I mean, they get shoved really fast, and then the guy just goes head first in the water. Oh, there's the uh, oh, entry from Osdale, New Mexico. Okay, so anyway, Red Bull street-style soccer finals. Amazing. Mm. Holy crow. Watch what this guy can do. The ball on his neck and head and face. And then big finish, give it to us. Come on. You know, got all day. There you go. Wow. Ice. And there's your winner. That is Crazy. amazing. And uh, maybe the white cap should give some of those guys a call. <laughs> Here is a commercial from Snickers featuring the Brady Bunch, kind of. Marsha, what happened? Peter hit me in the nose with a football. I can't go to the dance like this. Well, I'm sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what Dad always says. I never said that, honey. Shut up! Time to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Jan, this isn't about you. It never is! <laughs>
I think they should really do a remake with those guys in the it's Brady a, Bunch. It's the perfect yeah. casting. Like, yeah. Just perfect <laughs> casting. All right, so Christmas ads. We uh, mentioned a lot of them from the UK. This one is actually from Switzerland for a store called Manor, and they always do a, a big one that includes animations. So, here we go. Early Christmas. <laughs> Christmas tomorrow now. Yes, well, that was really cute. Hope you find Love someone to snuggle tonight. <laughs> Have a good, Have a good weekend. weekend. <laughs>